Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In the previous episode, Percy and Annabeth and Tyson both went, uh, all went on to the Princess Andromeda, and they met Luke there, and they escaped onto Clarice's ship, and now we read chapter 11, Clarice blows up everything. You are in so much trouble, Clarice said. We just finished a ship tour we didn't want, through dark rooms overcrowded with dead sailors. We'd seen the coal bunker, the boilers, and engine, which, which huffed and groaned like it would explode any minute. We'd seen the pilot house and the powder magazine and the gunnery deck, Clarice's favorite, with two Dahlgren smoothbore cannons on the port and starboard sides and a brook nine-inch ri- ri- rifled gun fore and aft, all specially ri- refitted to fire celestial bronze cannonballs. Everywhere we went, dead Confederate sailors stared at us, their ghostly bearded faces shimmering over their skulls. They approved of Annabeth because she told them she was from Virginia. They were interested in me too, because my name was Jackson, like the Southern General, but then I ruined it by telling them I was from New York. They all hissed and muttered curses about Yankees. Tyson was afraid of them, all through the tour. He insisted Annabeth hold his hand, which she didn't look, she didn't look too thrilled about. Finally, we were escorted to dinner. The CSS Birmingham's captain's quarters were about the size of a walk-in closet, but still much bigger than any other room on board. The table was set with white linen and china. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, potato chips, and Dr. Peppers were served by skeletal crewmen. I didn't want to eat anything served by ghosts, but my hunger overruled my fear. Tantalus expelled you for eternity. Clarice told us smugly. Mr. D said if any of you show your face at camp again, he'll turn you into squirrels and run you over with his SUV. Did they give you this ship? I asked. Of course not. My father did. Ares? Clarice sneered. You think your daddy is the only one with sea power? The spirits on the losing side of every war owe a tribute to Ares. That's their curse for being defeated. I prayed to my father for a naval transport and here it is. These guys will do anything I tell them. Won't you, Captain? The captain stood behind her, looking stiff and and angry. His glowing green eyes fixed me with a hungry stare. If it means an end to this infernal war, ma'am, peace at last. We'll do anything. Destroy anyone. Clarice smiled. Destroy anyone. I like that. Tyson gulped. Clarice, Annabeth said. Luke might be after the Felice, too. We saw him. He's got the coordinates and he's heading south. He has a cruise ship full of monsters. Good, I'll blow him out of the water. You don't understand, Annabeth said. We have to combine forces. Let us help you. No, Clarice pounded the table. This is my quest, smart girl. Finally, I get to be the hero, and you two will not steal my chance. Where are your cabin mates? I asked. You were allowed to take two friends with you, weren't you? They didn't. I let them stay behind to protect the camp. You mean even the people in your own camp wouldn't help you? Shut up, Percy. I don't need them or you. Clarice, I said. Tantalus is using you. He doesn't care about the camp. He'd love to see it destroyed. He's setting you up to fail. No, I don't care what the Oracle... She stopped herself. What? I said. What did the Oracle tell you? Nothing. Clarice's ears turned pink. All you need to know is that I'm finishing this quest and you're not helping. On the other hand, I can't let you go. So we're prisoners, Annabeth asked. Guests, for now. Clarice propped her feet up on the white linen tablecloth and opened another Dr. Pepper. Captain, take them below. Assign them hammocks on the berth deck. If they don't mind their manners, show them how we deal with enemy spies.
The dream came as soon as I fell asleep. Grover was sitting at his loom, desperately unraveling his wedding train, where the boulder's door rolled aside and the cyclops bellowed, Aha! Grover yelped, Dear, I didn't, you were so quiet. Unraveling, Polyphemus roared. So that's the problem. Oh no, I, I wasn't. Come! Polyphemus grabbed Grover around the waist and half-carried, half-dragged him through the tunnels of the cave. Grover struggled to keep his high heels on his hooves. His veal kept tilting on his head, tre- threatening to come off. The Cyclops pulled him into a warehouse, size, a, a warehouse-sized cavern decorated with sheep junk. There was a wool-covered la- lazy, lazy Boy recliner and a wool-covered television set, crude bookshelves loaded with sheep collectibles, coffee mugs shaped like sheep faces, plaster figurines of sheep, sheep board games, and picture books and action figures. The floor was littered with piles of sheep bones and other bones that didn't look like it looked exactly like bones. The bones of satires who'd come to this to the island looking for Pan. Polyphemus set Grover down only long enough to move another huge boulder. Daylight streamed into the cave, and Grover whimpered with longing, fresh air. The Cyclops dragged him outside to a hilltop overlooking the most beautiful island I'd ever seen. It was shaped kind of like a saddle cut in half by an axe. There were lush green hills on either side and a wide valley in the middle, split by a deep chasm that was spanned by a rope bridge. Beautiful streams rolled to the edge of the canyon and dropped off in rainbow-colored waterfalls. Parrots fluttered in the trees. Pink and purple flowers bloomed on the bushes. Hundreds of sheep grazed in the meadows, their wool glinting strangely like copper and silver coins. And at the the center of the island, right next to the rope bridge, was an enormous twisted oak tree with something glittering in its lowest bow, the golden fleece. Even in a dream, I could feel its power radiating across the island, making the grass greener, the flowers more beautiful. I could almost smell the nature magic at work. I could only imagine how powerful the scent would be for a satire. Grover whimpered. Yes, Polyphemus said proudly. See over there? Fleece is the prize of my collection. Stole it from heroes long ago, and ever since, free food. Satires come from all over the world like moths to flame. Satires good eating. And now... Polyphemus scooped up a wicked set of bronze shears. Grover yelped, but Polyphemus just picked up the nearest sheep like it was a stuffed animal and shaved off its wool. He handed a fluffy mass off to its Grover. Of it to Grover. Put that on the spinning wheel, he said, prou- he said proudly. Magic cannot be unraveled. Oh, well... Poor honey pie, Polyphemus grinned. Bad weaver, ha ha, not to worry. That thread will solve problem. Finish wedding train by tomorrow. Isn't that thoughtful of you? Hehe. <laughs> but 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 dear, Grover gulped. What if someone to rescue? I mean, attack this island. Grover looked straight at me, and I knew he was asking for my benefit. What would keep them from marching right up to here to your cave? Wifey's scared. So cute. Not to worry. Polyphemus has state-of-the-art security system. Have to get through my pets. Pets? Grover looked across the island, but there was nothing to see except sheep grazing peacefully in the meadows. And then, Polyphemus growled, they would have to get through me. He pounded his fist against the nearest rock, which cracked and split in half. 
Now come, he shouted, back to the cave. Grover looked about ready to cry, so close to freedom, but so hopelessly far. Tears welled in his eyes as the boulder door rolled shut, sealing him once again in the stinky, torch-lit dankness of the Cyclops' cave. I woke to alarm bells ringing throughout the ship. The The captain's gravely voice, All hands on deck. Find Lady Clarice. Where is that girl? Then his ghostly face appeared above me. Get up, Yankee. Your friends are almost... are already above. We are approaching the entrance. The entrance to what? He gave me a skeletal smile. The Sea of Monsters, of course. I stuffed my few belongings that survived the Hydra into a sailor's canvas knapsack and slung it over my shoulder. I had a sneaking suspicion that one way or another I would not be spending another night aboard the CSS Birmingham. I was on my way upstairs when something made me freeze. A presence nearby. Something familiar and unpleasant. For no particular reason, I felt like picking a fight. I wanted to punch a dead confederate. The last time I'd felt that kind of anger... Instead of going up, I crept to the edge of the ventilation grate and peered down into the boiler deck. Clarice was standing right below me, talking to an image that shimmered in the steam from the boilers. A muscular man in black leather biker clothes with a military haircut, red-tinted sunglasses, and a knife strapped to his side. My fists clenched. It was my least favorite Olympian. Ares, the god of war. I don't want excuses, little girl. He growled. Yes, father, Clarice mumbled. You don't want to see me mad, do you? No, father. No, father, Ares mimicked. You're pathetic. I should have let one of my sons take this quest. I'll succeed, Clarice promised, her voice trembling. I'll make you proud. You'd better, he warned. You asked me for this quest, girl. If you let that slimeball Jackson kid steal it from you... But the oracle said, I don't care what it said. Ares bellowed with such force that his image shimmered. You will succeed. And if you don't, he raised his fist, even though he was only a figure in the steam. Clarice flinched. Do we understand each other? Ares growled. The alarm bells rang again. I heard voices coming towards me, officers yelling orders to ready the cannons. I crept back from the ventilation grate and made my way upstairs to join Annabeth and Tyson on the spar deck. What's wrong? Annabeth asked me. Another dream? I nodded, but I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to think about what I'd seen downstairs. It bothered me almost as much as the dream about Grover. Clarice came up the stairs right after me. I tried not to look at her. She grabbed a pair of binoculars from a zombie officer and peered toward the horizon. At last, Captain, full steam ahead. I looked in the same direction as she was, but I couldn't see much. The sky was overcast, the air was hazy and humid, like steam from an iron. If I squinted real hard, I could just make out a couple of dark, fuzzy splotches in the distance. My nautical senses told me we were somewhere off the coast of northern Florida, so we'd come a long way overnight, farther than any mortal ship should have been able to travel. The engine groaned as we increased speed. Tyson muttered nervously, too much strain on the pistons, not meant for deep water. I wasn't sure how he knew that, but it made me nervous. After a few more minutes, the dark splotches ahead of us came into focus. To the north, a huge mass of rock rose out of the sea, an island with cliffs at least a 100 feet tall. 
About half a mile south of that, the other patch of darkness was a storm brewing. The sky and sea boiled together in a roaring mass. Hurricane? Ambit asked. No, Clarice said. Sharp it is. Ambit paled. Are you crazy? Only way into the sea of monsters. Straight between Charbitus and her sister, Celia. Clarice pointed to the top of the cliffs, and I got the feeling something lived up there that I did not want to meet. What do you mean the only way? I asked. The sea is wide open. Just sail around them. Clarice rolled her eyes. Don't you know anything? If I tried to sail around them, they would just appear in my path again. If you want to get into the sea of monsters, you have to sail through them. What about the clashing rocks? Ambit said. That's another gateway. Jason used it. I can't blow apart rocks with my cannons, Clarice said. Monsters, on the other hand. You are crazy, Ambit decided. Watch and learn, wise girl. Clarice turned to the captain. Set course for Charbitus. I'm a lady. The engine groaned, and the iron plating rattled, and the ship began to pick up speed. Clarice, I said, Charbitus sucks up the sea. Isn't that the story? And spits it back out again, yeah? What about Celia? She lives in a cave, up on those caves. If we get too close, her snaky heads will come down and start plucking sailors off the ship. Choose choose Celia then, I said. Everybody goes below deck and we chug right past. No, Clarice insisted. If Celia doesn't get her easy meat, she might pick up the whole ship. Besides, she's too high to make a good target. My cannon says can't shoot straight up. Charbitus just sits there at the center of her whirlwind. We're going to steam straight toward her, train our guns at her, and blow her to Tar- Tartarus. She said it with such relish, I almost wanted to believe her. The engine hummed. The boilers were heating up so much I could feel the deck getting warm beneath my feet. The smokestacks billowed. The red Ares flag whipped in the wind. As we got closer to the monsters, the sound of Charbitus got louder and louder. A horrible wet roar like the galaxy's biggest toilet being flushed. Every time Charbitus inhaled, the ship shuddered and lurched forward. Every time she exhaled, we rose in the water and were buffeted by ten-foot waves. I tried to time the whirlpool, as near as I could figure. It took Charbitus about three minutes to suck up and destroy everything within a half-mile radius. To avoid her, we would have had to skirt right next to Cilia's cliffs. And as bad as Cilia might be, those cliffs were looking awfully good to me. Undead sailors calmly went about their business on the spar deck. I guess they fought a losing cause before, so this didn't bother them. Or maybe they didn't care about getting destroyed because they were already deceased. Neither thought made me feel any better. Annabeth stood next to me, gripping the rail. You still have your thermos full of wind? I nodded, but it's too dangerous to use with a whirlpool like that. More wind might just make things worse. What about controlling the water? She asked. You're Poseidon's son. You've done it before. She was right. I closed my eyes and tried to calm the sea, but I couldn't concentrate. Charbitus was too loud and powerful. The waves wouldn't respond. I, I, I can't, I said miserably. We need a backup plan, Annabeth said. This isn't going to work. Annabeth is right, Tyson said. Engine's no good. What do you mean? She asked. Pressure. Pistons need fixing. Before he could explain, the cosmic toilet flushed with a mighty roar. The ship lurched forward and I was thrown to the deck. We were in the whirlpool. Full reverse! 
Clarice screamed above, uh, above the noise. The sea churned around us, waves crashing over the deck. The iron plating was, sna was now so hot, it steamed. Get us within firing range. Make ready starboard cannons. Dead Confederates rushed back and forth. The propeller grinded into reverse, trying to slow the ship, but we kept sliding toward the center of the vortex. A zombie sailor burst out of the hold and ran to Clarice. His gray uniform was smoking. His beard was on fire. Boiler room overheating, man. He, she's gonna blow. We'll get down there and fix it. Can't, the sailor yelled. We're vaporizing in the heat. Clarice pounded the side of the casemate. All I need is a few more minutes, just enough to get in range. We're going in too fast, the captain said grimly. Prepare yourself for death. No, Tyson bellowed. I can fix it. Clarice looked at him incredulously. You? He's a cyclops, Abbott said. He's immune to fire and he knows mechanics. Go, yelled Clarice. Tyson, no, I grabbed his arm. It's too dangerous. He patted my hand. Only way, brother. His expression was determined, confident even. I'd never seen him look like this before. I will fix it. Be right back. As I watched him follow the smoldering sailor down the hatch, I had a terrible feeling. I wanted to run after him, but the ship lurched again. Then I saw Charbidus. She appeared only a few hundred yards away, through a swirl of mist and smoke and water. The first thing I noticed was the reef, a black crag of coral with a fig tree clinging to the top, an oddly peaceful thing in the middle of, the, of a maelstrom. All around it, water curved into a funnel, like light around a black hole. Then I saw the horrible thing anchored to the reef just below the water line. An enormous mouth with slimy lips and mossy teeth, the size of rowboats. And worse, the teeth had braces, brands of corroded scummy metal with pieces of fish and driftwood and floating garbage stuck between them. Charbidus was an orthodontist nightmare. She was nothing but a huge black maw with bad teeth alignment and a serious overbite. And she'd done nothing for centuries but eat without brushing after meals. As I watched, the entire sea around her was sucked into the void. Sharks, schools of fish, a giant squid. And I realized that in a few seconds, the CSS Birmingham would be next. Lady Clarice, the captain shouted. Starboard and forward guns are in range. Fire, Clarice ordered. Three rounds were blasted into the monster's maw. One blew off the edge of an incisor. Another disappeared into her gullet. The third one hit one of Charbidus's retaining bands and shot back at us, snapping the Ares flag off its pole. Again, Clarice ordered. The gunners reloaded, but I knew it was hopeless. We would have to pound the monster a hundred more times to do any real damage. We didn't have that long. We were being sucked in too fast. Then the vibrations in the deck changed. The hum of the engine got stronger and steadier. The ship shuddered and we started pulling away from the mouth. Tyson did it, Abbott said. Wait, Clarice said. We need to stay close. We'll die, I said. We have to move away. I gripped the rail as the ship fought against the suction. The broken Ares flag raced past us and lodged in Cherubidus's braces. We weren't making much progress, but at least we were holding our own. Tyson had somehow given us just enough juice to keep the ship from being sucked in. Suddenly, the mouth snapped shut. The sea died to absolute calm. Water washed over Cherubidus. 
Then, just as quickly as it closed, the mouth exploded open, spitting out a wall of water, ejecting everything inedible, including our cannonballs, one of which slammed into the side of the CSS burning Birmingham with a ding like the bell on a carnival game. We were thrown backward on a wave that must have been 40 feet high. I used all of my willpower to keep the ship from capsizing, but we were still spinning out of control, hurtling toward the cliffs on the opposite side of the street. Another smoldering sailor burst out of the hold. He stumbled into Clarice, almost knocking them both overboard. The engine is about to blow. Where's Tyson? I demanded. Still down there, the sailor said, holding it together somehow, though I don't know how much for how much longer. The captain said, we have to abandon ship. No, Clarice yelled. We have no choice, milady. The hull is almost is already cracking apart. She can't. He never finished his sentence. Quick as lightning, something brown and green shot from the sky, snatched up the captain and lifted, lifted him away. All that was left were his leather boots. Celia, a sailor yelled as another column of reptilian flesh shot from the cliffs and snapped him up. It happened so fast, it was like watching a laser beam rather than a monster. I couldn't even make out the thing's face, just a flash of teeth and scales. I unkept Riptide and tried to swipe at the monster as it carried off another deckhand, but I was way too slow. Everybody get below, I yelled. We can't, Clarice drew her sword. Below deck is in flames. Lifeboats, Annabeth said, quick. They'll never get clear of the cliffs, Clarice said. We'll all be eaten. We have to try. Percy, the thermos. I can't leave Tyson. We have to get the boats ready. Clarice took Annabeth's command. She and a few of her undead sailors uncovered one of the two emergency rowboats while Celia's heads rained from the sky like a meteor shower with teeth, teeth ray picking off Confederate sailors one after another. Get the other boat. I threw Annabeth the thermos. I'll get Tyson. You can't, she said. The heat will kill you. I didn't listen. I ran for the boiler room hatch when suddenly my feet weren't touching the deck anymore. I was flying straight up, the wind whistling in my ears, the side of the cliff only inches from my face. Silly had somehow caught me by the knapsack and was lifting me up toward her lair. Without thinking, I swung my sword behind me and managed to jab the thing in her beady yellow eye. She grunted and dropped me. The fall would have been bad enough considering I was a hundred feet in the air, but I felt, as I fell, the CSS Birmingham exploded below me. Kaboom! The engine room blew, sending chunks of ironclad flying in either direction like a fiery set of wings. Tyson! I yelled. The lifeboats had managed to get away from the ship, but not very far. Flaming wreckage was raining down. Clarice and Annabeth would either be smashed or burned or pulled to the bottom by the force of the sinking hull. And that was thinking optimistically, assuming they got away from Celia. Then I heard a different kind of explosion. The sound of Hermes' magic thermos being opened a little too far. White sheets of wind blasted in every direction, scattering the lifeboats, lifting me out of my freefall and propelling me across the ocean. I couldn't see anything. I spun in the air, got clonked on the head by something hard, and hit the water with a crash that I would have been broken and every bone in my body if I hadn't been the son of the sea god. The last thing I remember was sinking in a burning sea, knowing that Tyson was gone forever, and wishing I were able to drown. And that is the end of chapter 11. That was a pretty sad ending considering that T- Tyson may have might have died from that ship exploding, but let's hope that he is not and he somehow survived. And don't worry after these ads, we will read chapter 12. We check into CC's spa and resort. And we are back from the ads, and now we will read chapter 12. We check into CC's Spawn Resort. 
I woke up in a rowboat with a makeshift sail stitched of gray uniform fabric. Ambit sat next to me, tacking into the wind. I tried to sit up and immediately felt woozy. Rest, she said. You're going to need it. Tyson? She shook her head. Percy, I'm really sorry. We were silent while the waves tossed us up and down. He may have survived, she said half-heartedly. I mean, fire can't kill him. I nodded, but I had no reason to feel hopeful. I'd seen that explosion rip through solid iron. If Tyson had been in the boiler room, there was no way he could have lived. He'd given his life for us, and all I could think about were the times I'd felt embarrassed by him and had denied that the two of us were related. Waves lapped at the boat. Annabeth showed me some, some things she'd salvaged from the wreckage. Hermes's thermos, now empty, a Ziploc bag full of ambrosia, a couple of sailor shirts, and a bottle of Dr. Pepper. She fished me out of the water and found my knapsack, bitten in half by Silly's teeth. Most of my stuff had floated away, but I still had Hermes's bottle of multivitamins, and of course I had Riptide. The ballpoint pen always appeared back in my pocket, no matter where I lost it. We sailed for hours now that we were in the sea of monsters. The water glittered a more brilliant green, like hydra acid. The wind smelled fresh and salty, but it carried a strange metallic scent too, as if a thunderstorm was coming, or something even more dangerous. I knew what direction we needed to go. I knew we were exactly 113 nautical miles west by northwest of our direction, but that didn't make me feel any less lost. No matter which way we turned, the sun seemed to shine straight into my eyes. We took turns sipping from the Dr. Pepper, shading ourselves with the sail as best as we could. And we talked about my latest dream of Grover. By Annabeth's estimate, we had less than 24 hours to find Grover, assuming my dream was accurate and assuming those Cyclops Polyphemus didn't change his mind and try to marry Grover earlier. Yeah, I said bitterly. You can never trust a Cyclops. Annabeth stared across the water. I'm sorry, Percy. I was wrong about Tyson, okay? I wish I could tell him that. I tried to stay mad at her, but it wasn't easy. We'd been through a lot together. She'd saved my life plenty of times. It was stupid of me to resent her. I looked down at her measly possessions. The empty wind thermos, the bottle of multivitamins. I thought about Luke's look of rage when I tried to talk to him about his dad. Annabeth, what's Sharon's prophecy? She pursed her lips. Percy, I, I shouldn't. I know Sharon promised the gods he wouldn't tell me, but you didn't promise, did you? Knowledge isn't always good for you. Your mom is the wisdom goddess. I know, but every time heroes learn the future, they try to change it and it never works. The gods are worried about something I'll do when I, turn, when I get older, I guess. Something when I turn 16. Annabeth twisted her Yankees cap in her hands. Percy, I don't know the full prophecy, but it warns about a half-blood child of the big three. The next, <clears throat> the next one who lives to the age of 16. That's the real reason Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades were a pact after World War III II not to have any more kids. The next child of the big three who reaches 16 will be a dangerous weapon. Why? Because that hero will decide the fate of Olympus. He or she will make a decision that either saves the age of gods or destroys it. I let that sink in. I don't get seasick, but suddenly I felt ill. That's why Kronos didn't kill me last summer. She nodded. You could be very useful to him. If he can get you on his side, the gods will be in serious trouble. But if it's me and the prophecy, we'll only know that if you survive three, three more years. That can be a long time for a half-blood. When Sharon first learned about Thalia, he assumed she was the one in the prophecy. That's why he was so desperate to get her safely to camp. Then she went down fighting and got turned into a pine tree, and none of us knew what to think until you came along. On our port side, a spiky green dorsal fin about 15 feet long curled out of the water and disappeared.
this kid in the prophecy. He or she couldn't be like a cyclops, I asked. The big three have lots of monster children. Annabeth shook her head. The oracle said half-blood. That always means half-human, half-god. That there's really nobody alive who it, would, who it could be, except you. Then why do the gods even let me live? live? It would be safer to kill me. You're right. Thanks a lot. Percy, I don't know. I guess some of the gods would like to kill you, but they're probably afraid of offending Poseidon. Other gods. Maybe they're still watching you, trying to decide what kind of hero you're going to be. You could be a weapon for their survival, after all. The real question is, what will you do in three years? What decision will you make? Did the prophecy give any hints? Annabeth hesitated. Maybe she would have told me more, but then a seagull swooped down on nowhere and landed on her makeshift mast. Annabeth looked startled as a bird dropped a small cluster of leaves into her lap. Land, she said. There's land nearby. I sat up. Sure enough, there was a line of blue and brown in the distance. Another minute, I could make out an island with a small mountain in the center, a dazzling white collection of buildings, a beach dotted with palm trees, and a harbor filled with a strange assortment, assortment of boats. The current was pulling our rowboat toward what looked like a tropical paradise. Welcome, said the lady with the clipboard. She looked like a flight attendant. Blue business suit, perfect makeup, her hair pulled back into a, in a ponytail. She shook her hands as we stepped onto the dock. With a dazzling smile she gave us, you would have thought she would, we would have just gone off the Princess Andromeda rather than a banged up rowboat. Then again, our rowboat wasn't the weirdest ship in port. Along with a bunch of ple- pleasure yachts, there was a U.S. Navy submarine, several dugout canoes, and an old-fashioned three-masted sailing ship. There's a helipad with a Channel 5 Fort Lauderdale helicopter on it, and a short runway with a Learjet and a propeller plane that looked like a World War II fighter. Maybe they were replicas for tourists to look at or something? Is this your first time with us? The clipboard lady inquired. Abbott and I exchanged looks. Abbott said, Um, first time at spa. The lady said as she wrote her on the clipboard. Let's see. She looked us up and down critically. Hmm, a herbal wrap to start for the young lady, of co- and, of, and of course, a complete makeover for the young gen- gentleman. Oh, what? I asked. She was too busy jotting down notes to answer. Right, she said with a breezy smile. Well, I'm sure Cece will want to talk, speak with you personally before the luau. Come, please. Now, here's the thing. Annabeth and I were used to traps, and usually those traps look good at first. So I expected the clipboard lady to turn into a snake or a demon, or something, any minute. But on the other hand, we've been floating in a rowboat for most of the day. I was hot, tired, and hungry, and when this lady mentioned a luau, my stomach sat up on its hind legs and begged like a dog. I guess it couldn't hurt, Abbott muttered. Of course it could, but we followed the lady anyway. I kept my hands in my pockets where I'd stashed my only magic defenses, Hermes multivitamins and Riptide, but the farther we wandered into the resort, the more I forgot about them. The place was amazing. There was white marbles and blue water everywhere I looked. Terraces climbed up the side of the mountain with swimming pools on every level, connecting by water slides and waterfalls and underwater tubes you could swim through. Fountains sprayed water into the air, forming impossible shapes like flying eagles and galloping horses. Tyson loved horses, and I knew he'd love those fountains. I almost turned around to see the expression on his face before I remembered. Tyson was gone. You okay? Ambit asked me. You look pale. I'm okay, I lied. Just let's keep walking. 
We passed all kinds of tame animals. A sea turtle napped in a stack of beach towels. A leopard stretched out asleep on the diving board. The resort guests, only young women as far as I could see, lounged in deck chairs, drinking fruit smoothies or reading magazines while herbal gunk dried on their faces and manicurists in white uniforms did their nails. As we headed up a staircase toward what looked like the main building, I heard a woman singing. Her voice drifted through the air like a lullaby. Her words were in some other some other language other than ancient Greek, but just as old. Minoan, maybe, or something like that. I could understand what she sang about. Moonlight in the olive groves, the colors of the sunrise, and magic. Something about magic. Her voice seemed to lift me off the steps and carry me toward her. We came into a big room where the whole front wall was windows. The back wall was covered in mirrors, so the room seemed to go on forever. There was a bunch of expensive-looking white furniture, and on a table in one corner was a large wire pet cage. The cage seemed out of place, but I didn't think about it too much, because just then I saw the lady who had been singing, and whoa. She sat on a loom that the size of a big screen TV, her hands weaving colored thread back and forth with amazing skill. The tapestry shimmered like it was three-dimensional. A waterfall seemed so real I could see the fabric moving and clouds drifting across a fabric sky. Ambit caught her breath. It's beautiful. The woman turned. She was even prettier than her fabric. Her long, dark hair was braided with threads of gold. She had piercing green eyes and she wore a silky black dress with shapes that seemed to move in the fabric. Animal shadows black upon black like deer running through a forest at night. You appreciate weaving, my dear? The woman asked. Oh, yes, ma'am, Abbott said. My mother is... She stopped herself. You couldn't just go around announcing that your mom was Athena, the goddess who invented the loom. Most people would lock you in a rubber room. Our hostess just smiled. You have good taste, my dear. I'm so glad you've come. My name is Cece. The animals in the corner cage started squealing. They must have been guinea pigs from the sound of them. We introduced ourselves to Cece. She looked me over with a twinge of disapproval, as if I'd failed some kind of test. Immediately, I felt bad, but for some reason, I really wanted to please this lady. Oh, dear, she sighed. You do need my help. Ma'am, I asked. Cece called to the lady in the business suit. Hilla, take Annabeth on a tour, will you? Show her what we have available. The clothing will need to change, and the hair. My goodness, we will do a full image consultation after I've spoken with this young gentleman. But... Ambit's voice sounded hurt. What's wrong with my hair? Cece smiled benevolently. My dear, you are lovely, really. But you're not showing yourself for your talents at all. So much wasted potential. Wasted? Well, surely you're not happy the way you are. My goodness, there's not a single person who is. But don't worry, we can improve anyone here at the spa. Hilla will show you what I mean. You, my dear, need to unlock your true self. Ambit's eyes glowed with longing. I'd never seen her so much at, at a loss for words. But what about Percy? Oh, definitely, Cece said, giving me a sad look. Percy requires my personal attention. He needs much more work than you. Normally, if somebody had told me that, I would have gotten angry. But when Cece said it, I felt sad. I disappointed her. I had to figure out how to do better. The guinea pigs squealed like they were hungry. Well... Abbott said, I suppose. Right this way, dear, Hilla said. And Abbott allowed herself to be led away into the waterfall lace gardens of the spa. Cece took my arm and guided me toward the mirror wall. You see, Percy, to unlock your potential, you need serious help. The first step is admitting that you're not, the ha- you're not happy the way you are. 
I fidgeted in front of the mirror. I hated thinking about my appearance, like the first zit that had cropped up on my nose at the beginning of the school year, or the fact that my two front te teeth weren't perfectly even, or that my hair never stayed down straight. Cece's voice brought all these things to mind, as if she were passing me under a microscope. And my clothes were not cool. I knew that. Who cares? Part of me thought. But standing in front of Cece's mirror, mirror, it was hard to see anything good in myself. There, there, Cece consoled. How about we try this? She snapped her fingers and a sky blue curtain rolled down the, on the, over the mirror. It shimmered like the fabric on her loom. What do you see? Cece asked. I looked at the blue clot, not sure what she meant. I don't. Then it changed colors. I saw myself, a reflection, but not a reflection. Shimmering there on the clot was a cooler version of Percy Jackson, with just the right clothes, a confident style, style, smile on my face. My teeth were straight, no zits, a perfect tan, more athletic, maybe a couple of inches taller. It was me without the faults. Whoa, I managed. Do you want that? Cece asked. Or shall I try a different... No, I said. That, that's amazing. Can you really... I can give you a full makeover, Cece promised. What's the catch? I said. I have to, eat, like, eat a special diet? Oh, it's quite easy, Cece said. Plenty, plenty of fresh fruit, a mild exercise program, and of course, this. She stepped over to our wet bar and filled a glass with water. Then she ripped open a drink mix packet and poured in some red powder. The mixture began to glow. When it faded, the drink just looked like a strawberry milkshake. One of these substituted for a regular meal, Cece said. I'll guarantee you will see results immediately. How is that possible? She laughed. Why question it? I mean, don't you want the perfect you right away? Something nagged at the back of my mind. Why are there no guys at the spa? Oh, but there are, she, Cece assured me. You'll meet them quite soon. Just try the mixture, you'll see. I looked at the blue tapestry, at the reflection of me, but not me. Now, Percy, Cece chided. The hardest part of the makeover process is giving up control. You have to decide. Do you want to trust your judgment about what you should be or my judgment? My throat fell dry. I heard myself say your judgment. Cece smiled and handed me the glass. I lifted it to my lips. It tasted just like it looked, like a strawberry milkshake. Almost, almost immediately, a warm feeling spread through my guts. Pleasant at first, then painfully hot, searing as if the mixture were coming to a boil inside of me. I doubled over and dropped the cup. What have you? What's happening? Don't worry, Percy, Cece said. The pain will pass. Look, as I promised, immediate results. Something was horribly wrong. The curtain dropped away, and in the mirror, I saw my hands shriveling, curling, growing long, delicate claws. Fur sprouted on my face, under my shirt, in every comfortable place, uncomfortable place you can imagine. My teeth felt too heavy in my mouth. My clothes were getting too big, or Cece was getting too tall. No, I was shrinking. In one awful flash, I sank into the cavern of a dark cloth. I was buried in my own shirt. I tried to, I tried to run, but, my, but hands grabbed me. Hands as big as I was. I tried to scream for help, but all that came out of my mouth was, Ree, ree, ree. The giant hands squeezed me around the middle, lifting me into the air. I struggled and kicked with legs and arms that seemed much too stubby. Then I was staring, horrified, into the enormous face of Cece. Perfect, her voice boomed. I squirmed in alarm, but she only tightened her grip around my furry belly. See, Percy, you've unlocked your true self. 
She held me up to the mirror, and what I saw made me scream in terror. Reet, reet, reet! There was Cece, beautiful and smiling, holding a fluffy buck-toothed creature with tiny claws and white and orange fur. When I twisted, so did the furry creature in the mirror. I was... I was... A guinea pig, Cece said. Lovely, aren't you? Men are pigs, Percy Jackson. I used to turn them into real pigs, but they were so smelly and large and difficult to keep. Not much different than what they were than what than they were before. Really, guinea pigs are much more convenient. Now come and meet the other men. <clears throat> Read! I protested, trying to scratch her, but Cece squeezed me so tight I almost blacked out. None of that, little one. She scolded, or I'll feed you, feed you to the owls. Go into the cage like a good, a good little pet. Tomorrow, if you behave, you will be on your way. There is always a classroom in need of a new guinea pig. My mind was racing as fast as my tiny little little heart. I needed to get back to my clothes, which were lying in a heap on the floor. If I could do that, I could get ripped tight out of my pocket. And and what? I couldn't uncap the pen. Even if I did, I couldn't hold the sword. I squirmed helplessly as Cece brought me over to the guinea pig cage and opened the wire door. Meet my discipline problems, Percy, she warned. They'll never make good classroom pets, but they might teach you some manners. Most of them have been in this cage with for three hundred years. If you don't want them to stay with if you don't want them permanently, I suggest you Ambit's voice called. Miss Cece? Cece cursed in ancient Greek. She plopped me into the cage and closed the door. I squealed and clawed at the bars, but it was no good. I watched as Cece hurriedly kicked my clothes under the loom just as Annabeth came in. I almost didn't recognize her. She was wearing a sleeveless silk dress like Cece's, only white. Her blonde hair was newly washed and combed and braided with gold. Worst of all, she was wearing makeup, which I never thought Annabeth would would be caught dead in. I mean, she looked good, really good. I probably would have been tongue-tied if I could have said anything except reet, reet, reet. But there was also something totally wrong about it. It just wasn't Annabeth. She looked around the per room and frowned. Where's Percy? I squealed up a storm, but she didn't seem to hear me. Cece smiled. He's having one of our treatments, my dear. Not to worry. You look wonderful. What do you think of your tour? Emmett's eyes brightened. Your library is amazing. Yes, indeed. Cece said, the best knowledge of the past three millennia. Anything you want to study, you want to be, my dear. An architect? Pah, Cece said. You, my dear, have the makings of a sorceress like me. Amber took a step back. A sorceress? Yes, my dear. Cece held up her hand, fl- and fl- a flame appeared in her palm and danced across her fingertips. My mother is Hecate, the goddess of magic. I know a daughter of Athena when I see one. We are not so different, you and I. We both seek knowledge. We, ad- we both admire greatness. Neither of us needs to stand in the shadow of men. I, I don't understand. Again, I squealed my best, trying to get Ambit's attention, but she either couldn't hear me or didn't think the noises were important. Meanwhile, the other guinea pigs were emerging from their hutch to check me out. I didn't think it was possible for guinea pigs to look mean, but these did. There were half a dozen with dirty fur and cracked teeth and beady red eyes. They were covered with shavings and smelled like they really had been in here for 300 years without getting their cage cleaned. Stay with me, Cece was telling Annabeth. Study with me. You can join your staff. Become a sorceress. Learn to bend others to your will. You will become immortal. But you are too intelligent, my dear, Cece said. You know better than to trust that silly camp for heroes. How many great female half-blood heroes can you name? Uh, Atalanta, Amelia Earhart, bah, men get all the glory. 
Cece closed her fist and extinguished the magic flame. The only way to powerful women is sorcery. Medea, Calypso, now they're a powerful woman. And me, of course, the greatest of all. You... Cece... Circe! Yes, my dear. Ambit backed up and Circe laughed. You need not worry. I mean you no harm. What have you done to Percy? Only helped him realize his true form. Ambit scanned the room. Finally, she saw the cage of me scratching the bars and all the other guinea pigs crowning around me. His eyes went wide. Forget him, Circe said. Join me and learn the ways of sorcery. But... Your friend will be well cared for. He'll be shipped to a wonderful new home, home on the mainland. The kindergartners will adore him. Meanwhile, you'll be wise and powerful. You'll have all you ever wanted. Ambit was still staring at me, but she had a dreamy expression on her eyes. She looked the same way I had when Sir Cirque enchanted me into drinking the guinea pig milkshake. I squealed and scratched, trying to warn her to snap out of it, but I was absolutely powerless. Let me think about it, Ambit murmured. Just give me a minute alone to say goodbye. Of course, my dear, Cirque wooed. One minute. Oh, and so you have pri absolute privacy. She waved her hand and iron bars slammed down over the windows. She swept out of the room and I heard the locks on the door click shut behind her. The dreamy look melted off of Annabeth's face. She rushed to my cage. All right, which one is you? I squealed, but so did all the other guinea pigs. Annabeth looked desperate. She scanned the room and spotted the cuff of my jeans sticking out from under the loom. Yes! She rushed over and rummaged through my pockets, but instead of bringing out reptiles, she found a bottle of Hermes multivitamins and started struggling with the cap. I wanted to scream at her that this wasn't the time for taking supplements. She had to draw the sword. She popped a lemon chewable in her mouth just as the door flew open and Cirque came back in, flanked by two of her business student attendants. Well, Cirque sighed, how fast a minute passes. What is your answer, my dear? This, Ambit said, and she drew her bronze knife. The sorceress stepped back, but her surprise quickly passed. She sneered. Really, little girl? A knife against my magic? Is that wise? Circuit looked back at her attendants, who smiled. They raised their hands after, as if they prepared to cast a spell. Run! I wanted to tell Annabeth, but all I could make were rodent noises. The other guinea pigs squealed in terror and scuttled around the cage. I had the urge to panic and hide too, but I had to think of something. I couldn't stand to lose Annabeth the way I lost Tyson. What will Annabeth's makeover be? Cirque amused. Something small and ill-tempered. I know, a shrew. Blue fire coiled from her fingers, curling her like serpents around Annabeth. I watched, horror-struck, but nothing happened. Annabeth was still Annabeth, only angrier. She leaped forward and stuck the point of her knife against Cirque's neck. How about turning me into a panther instead? One that has claws at your throat. How? Cirque yelled. Annabeth held up my bottle of vitamins for the sorcerers to see. Cirque howled in frustration. Curse Hermes and his multivitamins. Those are such a fad, they do nothing for you. Turn Bercy Pack to a human or else, Annabeth said. I can't. Then you asked for it. Cirque's attendants stepped forward, but their mistress said, Get back! She's immune to magic until that cursed vitamin wears off. Annabeth dragged Cirque over to the guinea pig cage, knocked the top off, and poured the rest of the vitamins inside. No! 
I was the first to get a vitamin, but all the other guinea pigs scuttled out too and checked out this new food. The first nibble, and I felt all fiery inside. I gnawed at the vitamin until it stopped looking so huge, and the cage got smaller. Then suddenly, bang, the cage exploded. I was sitting on the floor, a human again, somehow back in my regular clothes, thank the gods, with six other guys who all looked disoriented, blinking and shaking wood shavings out of their hair. No, Cirque screamed. You don't understand, those are the worst. One of the men stood up, a huge guy with a long, tangled, pitch-black beard and teeth with the same color. He wore mismatched clothes of woolen leather, knee-length boots, and a floppy felt hat. The other men were dressed more simply, in breeches and stained white shirts. All of them were barefoot. Arg! bellowed the big man. What's the witch done to me? No! Cirque moaned. Abbott gasped. I recognize you! Edward Teach, son of Ares? I lass, the big man growled. Thou most call me Blackbeard, and there's a sorceress which what captures lads run her through, and then I mean to find me a big bowl of celery. Cirque screamed. She and her attendants ran from the room, chased by the pirates. Ambed sheathed her knife and glared at me. Thanks, I faltered. I'm really sorry. Before I could figure out how to apologize for being such an idiot, she tackled me with a hug and then pulled away just as quickly. I'm glad you're not a guinea pig. Me too. I hope my face wasn't as red as it felt. She undid the golden braids in her hair. Come on, seaweed brain, she said. We have to get away while Cirque's distracted. We ran down the hillside through the terraces, past screaming spa workers and pirates ransacking the resort. Blackbeard's men broke the tiki torches for the luau, threw herbal wraps into the swimming pool, and kicked over his tables of sauna towels. I almost felt bad letting the unruly pirates out, but I guess they would deserve something more entertaining than the exercise wheel after being cooped up in a cage for three centuries. Which ship? Ambit said as we reached the docks. I looked around desperately. We couldn't very well take a rowboat. We had to get off the island fast. But But what else could we use? A sub? A fighter jet? I couldn't pilot any of those things. Then I saw it. There, I said. Annabeth blinked, but I can make it work. How? I couldn't explain. I just somehow knew an old sailing vessel was the best bet for me. I grabbed Annabeth's hand and pulled her toward the three-mast ship. Painted on its prow was the queen that I knew it would only decipher later. Queen Anne's revenge. Arrgh! Blackbeard yelled somewhere behind us. Those scalawags are aborting me vessel. Get them, lads. We'll never get going in time, Annabeth yelled as we climbed aboard. I looked around at the hopeless maze of sail and ropes. The ship was in great condition for a 300-year-old vessel, but it would still take a crew of 50 several hours to get underway. We didn't have several hours. I could see the pirates running down the stairs, waving tiki torches and sticks of celery. I closed my eyes and concentrated on the waves lapping against the hull. The ocean currents, the winds all around me. Suddenly, the right word appeared in my mind. Mizzenmast, I yelled. Amber looked at me like I was nuts, but in the next second, the air was filled with whistling sounds of ropes being snapped and snapped taut, canvases unfurling, and wooden pulleys creaking. Amber ducked as a cable flew over her head and wrapped itself around the bowsprit. Percy, how? I didn't have an answer, but I could feel the ship responding to me as if it were part of my body. I willed the sails to rise as easily as if, it were, as I, if I were flexing my arm. I, I willed the rudder to turn. The Queen Anne's revenge lurched away from the dock, and by the time the pirates arrived at the water's edge, we were already underway, sailing into the sea of monsters. And that is the end of chapter 12. And I really wonder what will happen when Percy and Annabeth reach the Sea of Monsters and how they will be able to obtain the Golden Fleece. But 
we but we will read chapters 13 and 14 next week and until then stay safe and stay out of boredom